Hi everybody, welcome to Pet Human Tales. My name is Tess and I am your host. I'm a mother of four boys, two humans, and two English setters. I'm a photographer with a focus in pet photography, and I am now a podcaster. I've brought you this podcast to help share the stories of both humans and pets and the remarkable things that they can do. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Happy Wednesday, everyone. I am so excited to release this episode. I interviewed Jennifer, who is the executive director at the Butler County Humane Society, which is the Humane Society most local to where I live. Um, I asked her all sorts of questions about how she got involved in the career that she did, the ups and downs of working at a humane society or a shelter, some of the inspiring things she deals with, some of the hard things she deals with. And it is just a really, really great interview. It's so informative. She really sheds light on what her life is like being at the Humane Society day in and day out. Um, And she also gives us tips and advice on how we uh, as community members can help our local shelters and humane societies. And if you are local to Butler County, how you can help out the Butler County Humane Society. I really hope you enjoy this episode and I am going to link their donation website in the show notes if you would like to help out. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Ken Crispin of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Ken is a realtor and a licensed assistant with the Chuck Swidinski team. If you are local to the Pittsburgh area and need help buying or selling your home, you may call or text Ken at 724-679-7799 or email him at kcrispin at tprsold.com. I will also have this information in the show notes. For this episode of Pet Human Tales, uh, I just jump right into the first question, and anyone who listens to this podcast already knows what it is. And since it is a podcast about pets and humans, I always ask a little bit about your story first. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, where you live, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm Jen DiCuccio, and I'm the executive director at the Butler County Humane Society. I'm originally uh, from Ohio. I grew up in a small town near Cedar Point. After graduating high school, I uh, attended Ohio State University for a short period of time and realized that college was just not for me right out of high school. So I uh, took a jab and joined the Air Force and actually fell in love. I um, My background is in IT and computers, so while I was active duty Air Force, I got my bachelor's degree. And then after nine and a half years in the Air Force, I decided to um, go out on a whim and uh, get out. And I took a job with General GE Healthcare, actually. So that's General Electric. And I lived in Oregon for a little over a year and a half. And then I actually met my husband, who is from Butler, PA. And that's actually how I got out to this area. I was going to ask you with that 
all of those travels, how did you end up in Butler? But that explains it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, we'll go back a little bit to uh, a little later about how you got involved with the Humane Society. So okay. that's a good, good place to start. Yeah. Um, so I do you own horses as well. Because I do not. I just right now I just have one dog. One dog. Okay. So tell us a little bit about where your love of animals came from and how your dog became a part of your family. Yeah. So I grew up with uh, dogs. Most of them were literally, you know, community dogs kind of back in the day. Dogs that lived outside, uh, neighbor's dog that were outside. Uh, back then, it was something that was acceptable and tolerated and kind of felt like the norm. And then as I uh, went into high school, um, I actually had a poodle. His name was Iconi. He was my sister's dog, but they were active duty Navy and they were getting stationed in Hawaii and they could not take the dog with them. So he came to live with us. So he was a little poodle. And that was, you know, the, the gist of that growing up in childhood. I, but I've always had a love for animals. My sister, Melissa, and I would um, dream of owning lots of dogs, which she owns a lot more than me right now. And, um, and my, my actual first uh, dog that was my dog, I could call her my dog, was my dog, Bailey. She was rescued from a puppy mill breeder out in Oregon when I uh, had just gotten out of the Air Force. I said, you know, when I get out, that's the first thing I'm doing. I'm going to rescue a dog. So as I got settled into Oregon, I um, uh, found basically they were a puppy mill and um, they were trying to, this group was trying to save these dogs. So I went and I grabbed her. She was the worst, baddest dog I've ever had. She was <laughs> digging when she, when I went through the pick the litter and uh, I said, okay, this is the one I want right there. So she lived <laughs> to be about 12 years old. And then as when I met my husband, he had actually had two dogs. He had a golden retriever named Enzo. And then he had a rescue dog. Uh, her name was Phoenix and she was found um, near um, Monroe Hotel. She was running, dodging cars all around Butler, and he just uh, pulled over into the gas station, grabbed her, scooped her up, and um, her previous owners did not want her back. So um, I, she was truly out of the three after I moved in. That we had the three of them, and Phoenix was truly my favorite. Uh, she slept behind me. She curled up on my back. She was kind of a husky mix. She was smaller. She was about thirty-five pounds, and she was just so sweet. But she was a runner. She loved to just run, run, run. Wow, that's awesome. So given that you, you know, have such an important role at the Humane Society, do you find that it's hard for you to have just one dog and not bring more home all the time? Oh, absolutely. Um, my Luna is a rescue. So I adopted her from the Humane Society when she was a little more than eight weeks old. And um, after I had lost um, my black lab, Bailey. It was extremely difficult to not have a dog. Your whole life changes when you have animals for so many years and all of a sudden you don't have one. Every day Delaney would wake up and she would cry and she'd say, you know, I miss Bailey dog. I'd miss Bailey dog. And the whole routine changes everything you do about your day. It's so quiet, you know, nobody's barking. So as much as them, sometimes they can drive you crazy, you know, it's just, you know, that kind of love that they give you. So I, um, so I have Luna and, you know, I know one of your questions test later on will be, what's the funniest and cutest story of your dog. But, you yeah. know, Luna, who I love, the funny and cutest is actually like, you know, as an, an executive director, you'd probably think, well, oh, I have the best dog ever. Actually, she's a little stinker butt, which is why <laughs> I only have one dog right now. So <laughs> I always tell my board president, Kristen, like, hey, if I need to foster this dog, you may have to take my dog for a few days so that I can bring this one home. So. It's kind of embarrassing, but I mean, that's the, the, my reality I live in with Luna. 
Yeah. And I was saying that to someone else I had interviewed as well. I think that's why it's so important to bring awareness to adoption to more people instead of always just working within the same group of people, because you do get into circumstances and we're in it as well, where one of your dogs doesn't necessarily do well with other dogs. And then you are limited to just bring in a certain amount. And I would probably have 30 dogs living in my house if it wasn't for Wesson, our dog who's a big fan, or my husband as well. He would put a stop to it. But Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, I work so much. And being um, a mom, too, you know, it makes it hard. It's really not fair. So I obviously love on them as much as I can when I'm at work. And, um, you know, if, if there was an emergency, absolutely. I would take an animal home, um, at no, without a doubt. And, you know, my daughter is severely allergic to cats and I have an office cat. His name is Oscar and I want to bring him home so bad, but unfortunately she, um, you know, she'll break out in hives and, you know, that makes it very difficult because she does have a true love for cats and kittens, but you know, we, they just have to stay at the shelter, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. I totally understand that. Well, awesome. So. Can you share with everyone who may not be local what the Butler County Humane Society is, uh, where they're located, which is kind of obvious, I guess, um, and then the the work that they do and kind of what their role is in the community? Yeah, so the Butler County Humane Society, we are um, obviously in Butler County. Uh, We are not funded by the county, though. Uh, Our name is kind of misleading. We have been around for over 122 years. Um, We were founded in 1897. And um, we were we actually converted to no kill back in 2000, which was a huge, 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 um, uh, big deal for our community. And um, to to be able to have that no kill shelter status since 2000 is pretty pretty incredible. Like I said, we do not get any taxpayer dollars. We do not get any funding from our our county. Um, we do not get any funding funding from any of the municipalities from the strays that we take in. So we are a privately self funded nonprofit. All of our donations come from um, the community and in the uh, grants that that kind of thing. And um, So what exactly do we do? So we take in dogs and cats in our community Um, on a rare occasion. If we don't have a lot of dogs, we will transfer dogs from other high kill shelters. Uh, Sadly, there are a lot of those um, seems to be more in the southern states and they're just overwhelmed with different um, issues. A lot of them are animal control. So unfortunately, you know, they have to have kennels open in order to take in more animals. We're a unique uh, set up so that, you know, we don't have to take in stray animals, although it's our mission. So we do, unfortunately, you know, we can't take in every cat that makes it much more difficult, but for the most part, every stray dog, we are able to take in. Wonderful. Wow. That's amazing. So how did you get to your position there and how did you get into the, the career of animals and in the field of working with animals? So I started actually on the board of directors and, you know, I kind of uh, went that route. I had just, I had worked for G healthcare for 10 years and then I stopped working to actually be a stay at home mom for a couple of years while my daughter Delaney was younger. And after about three years, when she turned about three and a half, I knew I wanted to do something a little bit more, you know, as she was getting older, she was going to be going into kindergarten. So I um, had a good friend who had said, hey, why don't you join me on the board of directors? So I started off there and my role on the board was really trying to help them uh, get us, you know, situated with a donor database and a new website because the website had been extremely outdated. 
um, trying to kick off some new programs and working with the volunteer coordinator at that time. And then it just, you know, eventually just progressed. There was an opening for an executive director and they were in need. So I said, hey, I will try this for one year. I'll do it for a year and then we'll get somebody in there and that'll give us time to get everything situated. Well, you know, I'm going on almost two years now in, I think, June. <laughs> so you're still there. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Um, so as far as the board of directors, if anyone wants to know and get involved with their local humane society, how do you go about getting involved with the humane society when it comes to that? Or even if you want to touch a little bit on what the best way to go about just volunteering your time? Yeah, we, you know, our volunteer program has really grown in the last couple of years. And the things that we I guess you could say ask of our volunteers has grown exponentially. Um, it used to just kind of be okay, go to an event and help or, you know, walk, come in and walk a dog. You know, we've developed, you know, these programs to allow um, our volunteers to really have more of an impact. Our, if it wasn't for our volunteers, we would not be able to do what we do. Um, you know, we ask of our volunteers to clean cats, mop floors, clean bathrooms, uh, go to events, um, empty litter boxes, scrub dishes. I mean, you name it, you know, we ask them to do it. Be a part of dog play groups if they're an experienced handler. And then obviously the fun part, which is walking dogs. And uh, we ask our volunteers to take dogs to nursing homes and, you know, events, you know, like our Wine and Whiskers event that's coming up on February 17th. Uh, you know, we have a volunteer coordinator. That's how you would get involved there. You would reach out. Her name is Alicia Share. She's amazing. And then our board of directors, um, you know, Kristen Colley is our board president. Carrie Giannocchi is our vice president. You know, if you were interested, if anybody out there was interested in wanting to join the board of directors, then, you know, you would reach out to one of those or anybody on the executive committee and just kind of see, you know, what it is, you know, how would I go about being a member of the board and, you know, what does that actually look like? Great. Thank you. That's so helpful. And I know I have volunteered. I obviously volunteered at the Humane Society with my photography, but I, yeah, English setter. Thank you, by the way. Oh, yes. You're very welcome. <laughs> I know everyone is the highlight of my business. Like, I, when you guys email me, I get so excited. I'm like, yes, yeah, go take more photos. So, um, but I also have helped with Oakley, our English setter. There's an English setter rescue um, that I work with. And they are amazing as well. And so I think it's important for people to know about things like board of directors and how to volunteer. Because I, if you're not familiar with nonprofits, you don't really know what those are and how you can even get on a board of directors. And I believe I know for their rescue and for the Humane Society, it the board of directors is all volunteer-based, non-paid Absolutely. For every nonprofit, I believe, correct? Um, some of them actually could be like, you know, you could have a president who was acting executive director in our case. Um, our, all of our board members are all volunteer. They volunteer their time. Um, nine times out of 10, they donate their own funds. They, you know, host their own fundraisers. You know, I mean, we're very blessed to have our board of directors. And, you know, from my perspective, that's who I report to. So uh, from an overall um, org chart, you know, I'm at the executive director and then I report to the board of directors. Correct. Okay. Awesome. That makes sense. Thank you. That's helpful. I think for anyone looking to get involved. Um, so what are the challenges that you face working in the world of a humane society and the work that you do? And then on the other end, what's the most rewarding part of your job? So I think the biggest challenge is probably 
it, it, you know, it comes twofold and, you know, it's hard. You don't want to criticize, you know, a certain thing, but the hardest part is probably, you know, when you're taking in an animal that's been neglected or abused and, um, you know, seeing, you know, we take that on, but from a financial perspective, you know, we're taking that on ourselves and having to ask our donors and nine times out of 10, if there's charges, they're either going to be dropped or, you know, the case is going to be thrown out. And I think that that's, I would say if I even had to ask myself, that's one of the hardest things that you have to deal with. So knowing that somebody can get away with abusing an animal or neglecting an animal or abandoning an animal and, you know, laws are changing in our favor, you know, across the United States. Um, but, you know, different counties, different communities, you know, it's, it's some, some, there's different levels there. So I can say in Butler County, I hope that going past 2020 that we can, you know, make some some significant changes on how we handle these cases. We can't afford a humane police officer in the shelter. It, it's just another body that you have to pay. And unfortunately, you know, due to, you know, funding issues, but that, you know, we do have humane police officers, which I'm grateful for. So they're all volunteer based and um, I think that's probably one of my biggest challenges is just to see that, you know, they come full circle for me, but it, and that's great to see. And when you see an animal who's been abused or neglected, finally go into a home, but on the legal side, sometimes it hurts when you know that somebody should be penalized for something that they've done and they just get to away, you know, get to walk away scot-free. Wow. Yeah. I think so much of that people don't even realize you just think, you know, if someone gets if it's in the news or whatever may happen that that person just had the consequences and it was dealt with, but I don't think yeah. people realize it doesn't end up coming to anything, any type of punishment. Yeah. The most rewarding things are obviously seeing, you know, like there's a dog in the shelter right now. His name is Rody. He came in severely emaciated a year ago and he's a Rhode He's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, he's probably purebred, but we can't really say that. And he was so, so thin, so scared. And um, you really couldn't uh, do much work with him. He has come such a long way. There's a girl who's going to be fostering him. And she's been coming in, you know, every Sunday, a couple of days a week. And she just spends time with him in a room, just a quiet room. And to finally see him after a year um, have this life brought into him. I mean, to hear him whimper like he wants to go play. Uh, she had him out running the other day. Uh, he, she's taking him in the car on little trips to get him used to this so she can take him into foster. You know, it's not too, it's not often when somebody walks in your building and says, okay, I want to, I want to work with this dog. This is the most difficult dog, or I want to adopt this animal. This is, uh, give me your two most difficult cats to adopt. Those are like dreams in our world. So when those happen, those are the days where you're just like, okay, I'm, I can do this again. And that's what keeps the staff, I think, and myself every day just kind of pushing through because it's not easy what we do. It's physically hard labor what we do. It's emotionally draining and it's exhausting and it's a reoccurrent thing every single day. And, you know, I don't ever get a day off on Thanksgiving in the evening. I was called on Christmas Day. I went into work. I mean, it's this is seven days a week, 365 a year. And, you know, everybody does it because they love animals, not because they need a job. Right. I think that is so inspiring in a sense. And just to hear the reality behind a job like 
you do. I think a lot of people might think if you're an animal lover and you work at a humane society or any type of um, shelter that it's just, oh my gosh, she gets to play with dogs all day. Or that is yeah, so nope. <laughs> And it's not like that. And from my um, time I've spent there, you know, it's very obvious it's not like that. And truly to see what you all go through every day and that you keep coming back day in and day out, I think is so amazing. Yeah. That kind of leads into our next question as well. What advice do you have for anyone who, after hearing what you just had to share, they think that they can, you know, dedicate themselves and be in a position that you're in to have a career in this field um, and work at a humane society or a shelter? Yeah, so I think if if I had to give somebody a piece of advice, if they were interested in doing this, I would say volunteer first and, um, you know, see if it's something that you want to do. And, you know, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to go walk dogs. It's a lot more than that. You know, we carry a lot on our hearts and our, in our, in our heads and our minds. And, you know, people who work in this business, you know, are off. I don't sleep a lot sometimes when I know it's, you know, we're going through stressful times and, you know, the risk of parvo or some type of transmittable disease when you, you know, you're constantly thinking like, okay, could this be the day it happens or, you know, but, you know, you see so many different rewarding things that come out of caring for these animals. You know, you came in and photographed a dog named Miko. Miko is blind. He's not even a year old. I mean, what happened to this dog? So, you know, if that doesn't pull at your heartstrings for, you know, to want to come in and work with this dog, then I, I don't know what would honestly um but it's 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 kind of like i think as a volunteer you really get to see what it is that we do every single day and how hard it is and then if i think if you can actually do that then i think you know you if you can actually get through being a volunteer then you can definitely you know be an employee and i, I find that most employee employees definitely started off volunteering just to kind of get a feel for you know what the shelter does right Awesome. And I think you give the best advice and anymore, this is just true for any career. Don't do it just to make money. It, you truly have to do it just because that's what you want to be doing. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't, you know, I have a business degree and then I have a computer for a master's and here I am working at an animal shelter and I'm in a very unique position because, you know, I, I, I could go to the hospital and work and, you know, make probably twice as much money, but I do what I do because I, I want to make a difference and I want to feel that I'm making a difference in my community every single day. I love that. Yeah, that's so amazing to hear. All right. So what advice do you have for anyone who may be struggling with pet ownership, whether it's a dog, a cat or a horse? And I'm talking like behavior issues, they're moving, they're having financial issues. I think these, I wanted to touch on those because those are a lot of reasons I feel like animals are abandoned to a humane yeah. shelter. So. so one of the things I really, really try hard is to always, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And, um, you know, if somebody is needing to surrender an animal, it's easy for, for people to just, you know, get angry or get upset with somebody. But I think it, you know, I think by choosing compassion and showing compassion in times like these, um, to a person, you just don't know what that person's going through and trying not to be judgmental and, um, you know, throwing your own feelings into this because it is hard, you know, when somebody walks in and they have a puppy and they're like, well, I don't want this puppy, you know, it's, 
want in your mind, you can easily go someplace like, well, why do you have this puppy? But I think it's important that everybody is in a different position in their lives, no matter what. So the first and foremost is just trying to have that customer service from, you know, from the front desk perspective and on a phone. And then also, you know, I personally, you know, if, if you need help with food, come to me, I will help you with food. If it's cat litter or something, you know, the, the hard part for my shelter in, you know, in Butler County is going to be from a veterinary perspective. We don't have a lot of low cost vets in Butler County. And I think they'll, I find that the number one reason that animals are surrendered is, you know, if they have a pre-existing health condition or if they have a, an existing condition, they just can't afford financially to take care of the animal. And that makes it very difficult, you know, because then they're asking us to either help them financially or take the burden on uh, for those animals. And if, if it's a minimal burden, we would definitely take that on. I wish I had, you know, grant funding where I could actually help my community members who were in financial need. Unfortunately, with my shelter being in a small area and the number of animals that we do take in, I just can't financially cover, you know, the community's vet bills. Um, but I think, you know, as far as behavioral issues, you know, we do work with dog trainers in our community and we do recommend them. And typically if they're recommended, you know, hopefully that they cut them, you know, a, at least a decent deal. Um, behavioral issues. I mean, you know, heck, my dog, she has barrier aggression. So if you came to the door, she's going to go crazy, you know, barking and, you know, growling at you. But the moment you open the door and she's just wagging her tail. So how bad are the behavioral issues? You know, we see food guarding in the shelter. Uh, we see kennel aggression, you know, walking by. So, I mean, we do see it all. And, you know, we do have some resources that we can help, you know, try to provide it, moving. It, that makes it difficult. I feel my heart would break if I had to move and I couldn't take my animal. So I just try not to be judgmental. I try to try as be as, as understanding as possible. Yeah. And I think too, with the behavior issues, just as far as like you said, having patience on top of that, I just spoke with another um, podcast interview E and they had issues with their dog that they found as a stray and they did hire a trainer. She was actually a behavioralist. And um, it's just a matter of, they have like a 10 minute routine they have to do now when they have guests come over and he's perfectly fine. He doesn't bite anyone. He doesn't growl. And no, that's all it came down to. So like you said, just trying to figure out your options, whether it's financial or behavior or moving, looking at your yeah. resources. So. Now, I will say it does seem like, you know, and this is more so lately. And, you know, I, I believe that this is every shelter and this is probably a whole nother topic. And, you know, maybe if you ever uh, interview anyone else, we could, you know, have a chit chat about this. But I do find that, you know, the pit bull is the pit bull mix, I guess you could say, is the face that seems like of every rescue organization nowadays, you know, any shelter, it's like, oh, it's a pit mix, pit mix, pit mix. And that makes it hard because, you know, there are a lot of landlords out there that, you know, don't allow those types of breeds. And, um, you know, but this is the world that we live in today. And on any given day, if we take in five strays, four out of five of those are going to have some type of pit mix in there. And so I go back to this whole, you know, financial thing and having some type of low cost, you know, vet care in our county and in our community, which is something I'm trying to um, work on in it from a community overall, because if this is the breed that we're constantly seeing being dumped, not being returned to their owners, why is that? Where are they coming from? Is there a potential for a spay and neuter ordinance in our community? You know, why, why is it that breed? And everywhere why is this the problem everywhere you know I wish I had that answer yeah getting back to the source of it yeah 
Yeah, I love, I see the spay and neuter clinics that you hold all the time. Um, and if anyone wants to see, anyone listening wants to see the events the Butler County Humane Society hosts or the clinics, I will link your website on the p- podcast notes here. But Thank you. I, yeah, I think that's so important. And I see a lot of other rescue organizations on social media. That's their main um, work that they do, whether it's going to Mexico and just having a big you know, spay and neuter fair, basically, where they just put up tents and spay and neuter, spay and neuter for the whole day. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I don't have this down as a question, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but anyone, <laughs> it's not a hard one, but anyone who is local listening, can you tell us what you need most right now at the Humane Society and how people can donate or contribute? Yeah. So, you know, we obviously go through a lot of cat litter. We have a lot of cats. We have cats in foster and we probably have over 70 cats in the building right now. And um, then we have more in foster. And so we provide our foster homes with everything that they need from, you know, caring for the animal, uh, litter, toys, anything. So cat litter is probably our biggest. Um, we don't have a lot of space for it. So we typically do um, kitty litter runs every two weeks. We bring them back on a pallet. So cat and it's non-clumping clay cat litter that we use at the shelter. Uh, we do have a couple of animals that have some pretty expensive medical bills right now. So donating to our emergency medical fund is huge for these types of animals. We have a cat, a little kitten. Her name is Phoenix. So she's about seven months old. She's been having seizures. We're not sure why. We think there may be a polyp or something going on up in her brain. So we're going to take her down to PBSEC and, and have an ultrasound done to see what's going on with her. And then we had a white shepherd puppy who we have no idea what happened to this baby. She is not even a year old. Um, she, it, right now, we're thinking that she needs total um, leg reconstruction on both of her legs. We're not sure if she was ran over. Was she hit with something? Um, was she thrown out of a moving car? But she's got some pretty severe leg injuries. So she's um, at a vet safe. So she's been there with, um, you know, with pain medication until we can get her down to PVSEC for an evaluation. Uh, So just kind of helping us cover some of those. I mean, we're probably looking at potentially about $10,000 if she does need reconstruction surgery for her. And, you know, because we are no kill, uh, you know, we do as much as possible to try to save these animals and give them the best uh, life that they could possibly have. So. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. Make sure I link to your website and show everyone where they can donate as well for that. So, okay. Well, to, get to kind of a more fun question, I guess we can call it. And this is our last one. Um, What is your favorite, funniest, cutest story that you have of your dog? So I would say my funniest story um, is actually probably, it's obviously with Luna. And um, we didn't think that, you know, so Luna is a pit whippet lab mix. I mean, she's like, I mean, she's, she's jet black, like a lab. Um, she's got a pity face, but you know, she's sleek like a greyhound or a whippet and she can yeah. run as fast as a whippet. Oh my um, we didn't, yeah. I mean, we thought this girl and we didn't think that she would swim. Uh, we had no idea that if she would swim and we had a pool. And so I remember sitting outside and Delaney, um, you know, she was younger. So she, I think she was about three and a half. And so she's like, I'm just going to take Luna in the pool. And I'm like, Luna can't swim. Luna can't swim. Cause I didn't realize that she had webbed feet. We just kind of never paid attention to it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, next thing you know, there's Delaney and Luna swimming around in the pool. And, um, so that was probably my cutest story, you know, with Luna, because here I am thinking she'll never go in a body of water. And then all of a sudden she became obsessed and, okay. you know, that was like her place to be all summer long that summer. So 
does she still swim now like oh absolutely she she lives for the water absolutely oh my gosh I love that I cannot imagine a whip it with a pit bull face like I'm not sure she's so cute she's got (laughs) pity ears flop over Um, you know when she was a a baby obviously she was in a litter and um I I honestly thought she was going to be like a border collie mix but you know we obviously knew there was lab in there and then as she got a little bit older she just changed and her face changed but she definitely has this like pity snout this pity face and but she's like 40 pounds 45 pounds which is perfect you know you can scoop her up and cuddle her and yeah, that's awesome. I'll have to look back on your Facebook and look at yeah. her. I don't know if I've seen a picture of her yet. So, yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Oh, thanks, I, Tess. I really yeah, appreciate it. It's been such a great conversation. I think people will get so much out of this, and I hope they're encouraged to go volunteer with their local humane society as well. So, absolutely. Thank you. And thank, thank you for um, loving our animals and coming out and photographing them. I really appreciate it. Yes, I love it. It's, it maybe is. More, I get more out of it sometimes, I think, maybe than they do, but it's <laughs> the highlight of my day. So awesome. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tess. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. We will release our next episode of Pet Human Tales in April. I'll catch up with you all then.